with me is Danny Pinto. I've kind of just preambling, talking about how much I admire him. I'm terrible because they say never fanboy over the people you talk about, but I'm the worst. <laughs> so, Danny, just sorry <laughs> if I go off, right? I, I, I get a little bit weird that way. Um, Danny is... You're doing something really interesting, what I really like, right, is that if you live in a diaspora country, right, so, you know, Danny is in the U.S., in California, we're in Johannesburg here, and your connection to the national team, if you want to find information, is by and large going to be in Portuguese, which, I mean, you can speak good Portuguese, but you ideally want it something that you can easily understand. But also what I like about your content, Danny, is how it actually speaks to me as a second generation. I wasn't born in, in, in South Africa. I mean, I was born in South Africa. My family's from, from Madeira. And it speaks to me from that point of view because I think there's a very different way in supporting the national team. I don't know any other way, but from being living in Portugal and being from Portugal versus being somebody that lives out of Portugal and in an even weirder way, the national team plugs so much into your identity, right? Yeah, uh, Paulo. Uh, the thing for me, I'm I too am I'm first generation. Uh, I guess outside of of, uh, of Portugal, my parents are are both from the Azores. They're from uh, Tuscaida, and there is something to be said about the connection that this national team and and sports in general for anybody, but this national team has for those of us who are, you know, first generation, you know, outside of Portugal. And uh, it's one of the, it's one of the passions that I have sports wise is, is this national team. And it, it, uh, it's one of the things that uh, um, helps connect me to, uh, you know, my parents, uh, my parents' mm -hmm. roots and, and background and, and culture. So it's, it's uh, I, I I love it. It's uh, I think I I find it to be something that I'm very fortunate to to be connected to. And um, it's a, it's a weird thing that I can't always explain to people to say that. So I support Sporting and I support Manchester United, and I you have your own teams, and I know you have some some teams in US sport, but there is a kind of part of me where the national team trumps everything else. You know what I mean? Is that weird to say? Oh yeah, yeah. No, not at all. Because it's you know it's you know there isn't anything like there isn't anything like a a national team equivalent mm. like a soccer national team. I don't think. Yeah. Uh, you know, here in the states, you know, we have basketball, we have baseball. They have their national teams in the Olympics, but it's not looked upon as uh, as big as anything in soccer. So even like our our team our soccer team here in the States, our national team who, who drew mm. with, uh, with Wales yesterday. Uh, you know, I'm not tied to any club team in the United States. So when that team, when that, when that national team gets together, there really is no, uh, there's no, uh, it's not hard for me to root for them or to root for all the players because I don't have any ties to a club team. Now with mm. Portugal, my, my allegiance, sorry, Paulo, it's, it's to Benfica, <laughs> yeah. but if uh, if a sporting player were to uh, were to score a winning goal in the World Cup, which obviously won't happen this year because Sporting unfortunately doesn't have any players, but you know what I'm saying. I don't want to dig at you too no, no, bad. I, I totally Paulo, get it. But <laughs> but uh, but uh, I mean, you know, if if Pot was on the was on this was on the squad, and in the 92nd minute in the World Cup final, 
he was to score the goal that put us uh, in lead, put us atop, won us the World Cup, Buck might be my favorite player of all time. It's just one of those things that this national team does when you know there's there is a cohesion that this team does bring to I would say the majority of uh, of Portuguese fans and uh, and Portuguese football uh, followers that you know for you know during a World Cup during a Euro you know now that they have this Nations League going on I think we put club uh, club allegiances aside quite easily and we all want what's best for uh, for the national team yeah it, it it is really strange and it wasn't always that way but of course we didn't always have as good a national team you know there was kind of a 30-year lull of where we were kind of not really there i want to ask you what was your first world cup because i mean we you had it's so weird talking to my dad because obviously they hold up the 66 generation you don't really have anything till 86 and that wasn't the best you hear about the infighting and the stories and then we have this golden generation this massive lull to 2002 and kind of like ever presence uh since then not always the best performing but there and giving us the memories and giving us the games what was your first portugal world cup so my first indoctrination to Portuguese national team football was when I was five in 1986, that aforementioned team. And, you know, I, I only knew about the infighting and everything later on, yeah. uh, in, you know, in reading, in reading books and stories and everything. But, um, you know, my, my favorite player, for whatever reason, Paul, was, was Carlos Manuel. Uh, in 86. Maybe he was the only one that I could remember at five. I don't know. Uh, But that was the first time that I ever remembered watching uh, the Portuguese national team uh, play on TV and quite frankly, just being aware of them. Um, When I first got into it was when they first got back into kind of like the the spotlight of, of world football was the 2000 Euros with that golden generation, everyone remembers that uh, that goal from Luis Figu from uh, from about thirty five yards out that you know um, you know brought uh, brought the or started the Portuguese uh, comeback in that three uh, two victory against England, and from then on, as you mentioned, um, you know they've been in every major tournament since. Uh, you know they've uh, they've made every World Cup since then, uh, starting in two thousand two. Uh, they made uh, they made Euro uh, European appearances uh, consecutively. Obviously, won the Euro in 2016. But um, I would say my first ever was '86. But uh, like my first real taste, my first real uh, passionate look in uh, for this national team was definitely in uh, in 2000 at the Euros. So I tell these crazy this crazy story. And I think a lot of people identify with this is that my father used to get because obviously we didn't have the games on TV at the time. You could listen on radio because they would broadcast. I've got kind of cut off from the rest of the world at that point. So we would get transmissions on the radio because we could pick up the signal from Mozambique which is like six, seven hour drive from where you stay. So that's how you could listen to games back then. And all the old, the, the old men would walk around with their little radios with a massive antenna to listen to matches. But every now and again, <laughs> right? But every now and again, you'd get, um, you know, guys would be up and down between Portugal all the time. And one of the things they'd bring was cassette tapes, like VH video cassette tapes um, of taped games. So if they were there for a month, they'd record games for a month and bring it back. So there was a mixture of club games, uh, 
European games and uh, internationals. So you'd watch a game and we weren't in this world of like, you know, you know, fast coming information. So you'd sit for a month watching a month's worth of games. It was like ages ago. You're like, you don't even know. You're like, oh, there was a World Cup. I'm watching a game three months or three years later. And that's how we kind of would consume every now and again. And uncle would come back and bring you all the baller magazines. So it was this kind of like um, relationship and build up of go, it almost seemed mythical, like they didn't exist. And then later in the 90s, kind of satellite TV comes in, but my dad comes home one day with this massive parabolica that you got to like point every time the like a cloud comes to now point it towards a different place to now watch a game. <laughs> um, and it was on a mat trailer. This thing, I think this thing was half the size of the house. My mother wasn't happy. And it's like, it's such a nice story because now you just press a button. As we're talking now on my iPad, I'm busy watching the Denmark-Tunisia game. And it's like, it's so easy now, but there's that's such a nice story, you know? And I think the same with you. We've got these stories of like, it feels magical, you know? Well, yeah, it's, it, it's one of the things that connects us and connects, you know, our, our parents and, and our grandparents before us uh, to, uh, to their homeland, you know, whether it is Madeira or the Azores or uh, mainland Portugal. Um, you know, for us, you know, I, I'm 41 years old. So, you know, growing up in the 80s, uh, there wasn't a lot of access here in the States to, uh, to Portuguese football, to Portuguese uh, television. Uh, right around the time, and I think you, like your timeline is about the same as my timeline in terms of, you know, satellite TV and, um, you know, trying to get newspapers uh, delivered from Portugal, like Abalo, Records, uh, Ujog, um, by getting those uh, getting those out to, uh, you know, uh, more prominent Portuguese areas in California and in the back in and back east and, you know, New York and Massachusetts and in Rhode Island where you know, the population is, is, is much bigger, um, for, uh, for Portuguese, uh, for a Portuguese population of immigrants. So, um, I, I just remember going to a friend's house and, and, uh, and just seeing kind of similar to what you were, if you said your dad brought home, just like this, just huge satellite dish in the middle of the yard yeah. that, you know, all of us, like all of a sudden, like we can't, we can't play soccer or, or or football or baseball in the backyard anymore because if you ding that thing like the the, the signal is is lost forever so um, it's yeah it's one of those things where you know you did what you could to to reconnect with uh, with home you know uh, our parents would and uh, and by proxy you know we we fell in love with with uh, with their home and fell in love with their uh, their culture which made it our culture because you know not only were we born into it but you know we we were made to not forget it and it's one of the the beautiful things about uh portuguese culture is that the culture itself and, you know i've been i was very lucky to take my wife and my two boys uh to the azores this summer and and see them do what i did mm. um when i was a kid when my parents took me and it's just there's a connection there's it's Paulo, you said it a little bit earlier. It's something that sometimes it's hard to explain to other people. And, but if you, but in talking with you in two seconds, I can already tell the connection. Yeah. I could feel the connection to Portugal and where, you know, I'm standing in California, you're in South Africa, but yet there's the connection that took like less than a minute to, uh, to establish. So it's, uh, 
you know, if, if you're not Portuguese, I'm sorry, folks, but <laughs> it's it's one of those things where it's it's uh, it's I, I love being Portuguese. Uh, I love having uh, having uh, that connection to where my parents came from. Uh, not everybody has it. Mm. And uh, I think you and I follow are, are fortunate enough uh, to uh, to have that. And we're proud to have it. Yeah, 100%. And that's why when we launched off into this, I said, if I'm going to get anybody on the show, it's got to be you because um, up front, b- b- before I came online with you, I introduced Celestial Pod and what you've been doing. Um, but I think it's that. And I think I've kind of don't want to over egg just how, like I say, it's something you can't explain. But Celestial Pod, I find this and now it's a community and it's a way of chatting and somebody who's now in my mind become an authority Maybe you want to tell everyone who's listening, the Salasar pod, your journey, um, you are available on all platforms, you're talking about your growth, but kind of like, surely you didn't, you just wanted to start just to look for this connection or was there something more to it? Well, for me, I, I come from a broadcasting background. So, um, you know, I, I worked in, I worked in radio <clears throat> here in California, uh, for, I want to say about, well, let's see, what, we're 2021 now. So about 15, 16 years okay. or 2022 now. So um, it's always been a passion of mine. I, I've, I, you know, watching like media itself has always been a passion. So I, I just remember growing up, um, you know, especially during summer vacations, uh, we would get, my sister and I would get dropped off at Maya Vaughn's house. Um, I mean, this is as Portuguese of a story to start with as it gets followed, but uh, <laughs> my parents would uh, would drop us off uh, in the morning. They would work, hardworking folks. Um, they would drop us off at my Avaz house on the way to work, and uh, I would be at my Avaz house during the summer um, every day. And my Avaz, uh, not you know, not the uh, most technically sound or or most uh, English uh, or Americanized uh, immigrant very Portuguese. We talked Portuguese every day and my way of being introduced to English was watching the news and watching soap operas and watching, uh, you know, all these, uh, all these shows with my grandma. And I just fell in love with media for some, yeah. for some strange reason. I just enjoyed, uh, I enjoyed the medium of media. So, um, fast forward to uh, going to college. I had my own radio show. Um, during college, I had an internship with a radio station, a sports station here uh, near Sacramento. And I've never really kicked that bug. I've always had something of a, you know, find a way to be connected uh, media-wise. Do st- you know, I've had multiple podcasts um, with friends and with other colleagues. Um, but nothing ever resonated as much as this uh, podcast, this Celeste podcast that I'm doing now. Uh, nothing's ever kind of filled up my, uh, my media love tank if, uh, if for, <laughs> for lack of a better term than, than this thing does. Yeah. Uh, we started in 2018, uh, about a month before the world cup in 2018. Um, it, it started really just to, just to see what, <clears throat> what other people, I could reach out to because I knew that there were many people like myself, like you that um, love the national team, but that there is some, there, there is something lost in, in translation sometimes, or the, uh, the nuance of the mm-hmm. Portuguese language that we just don't get being born outside of Portugal. 
And what I was trying to do is give a, a full, not a full, but just a, a more complete understanding of not only what was going on in Portugal, but obviously giving my thoughts on what was going on in Portugal with the national team. Um, and what what's happened is, you know, you know, having opportunities to talk to to people like yourself in South Africa. You know, I have connections in 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 Portugal and uh, and in in London, and uh, it, this has grown into something a little bigger, I think, than I than I would have uh, initially thought. But the uh, but the message stays the same. It's about passion. It's about this national team. It's about connecting with those uh, who who love the national team like I do. Um, it's not a love fest by any uh, stretch of the imagination. Uh, there are times where uh, someone in my position who wants to do a show like this uh, needs to be critical of what's going on. And uh, by all means, this national team can give us enough, uh, enough ammunition to, to be uh, critical uh, on many occasions. Um, but it, this was this, this whole podcast was started to, as a, as a passion project to connect with those, um, similar to me, uh, in similar situations. And, uh, I just, you know, I, I love where, where that we're still doing it. Uh, you know, I think, I think that 95, I think I saw a stat where 95% of podcasts, um, are one to five episodes long and people just give up on it afterward. Um, I just completed number 69, 70, because I mean, I, I don't do a weekly show yep. because I my shows are are they revolve around the the Celestin schedule. So if we have a two month break, guess what? I have a two month break, and um, you know I, I'd much rather just you know instead of forcing content, I just let the content be the one that uh, that I force the or forcing instead of forcing content, I let the schedule be the content. So you know if any big news comes my way, obviously we'll we'll talk about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, uh, but it's a, it's a, it's a podcast for the fans and I try to get as many people on as possible. Um, and, uh, cause I, I, I do not like going solo because yep. I'd much rather kind of drive the ship and let someone who is, is more connected or, uh, more, um, you know, just, uh, just a, just a better, a better person for lack of a better term. To, uh, to talk about the team and, and just to get another opinion because my opinion is not the only opinion and and I and I respect others opinions and and have have gotten into great discussions with those of us who are uh, who, who have been on the show and, and on social media as well and you're not gonna make everybody happy but yep. at the same time you know that's the whole point it's just to have uh, a discussion about things and this is what this podcast is, has allowed me to do and and I just I enjoy it so so very much. So basically, you're not the Ronaldo of podcasting who can do it all by himself and doesn't need anybody else um, as it goes. Oh, I'd like, I'd like to, I'd like to be though. I mean, that'd be that'd be huge. I mean, if, if I'm the Ronaldo of anything, I'm sure there's a lot of uh, a lot of dollar signs coming my way. But uh, no, I'm not the Ronaldo of podcasting, Paulo. That's that's safe to say. Um, and 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 listen, just as on a, pod, a podcasting aside, I mean, you know, uh, and Danny, I didn't realize you had a radio background. I think you and I've got more more in common than we even know. Um, but 
what Danny's done with podcasting is that to release the way he does and to have the success the way he does, it doesn't happen because the algorithms love, yes, all those things happen, but it happens because he's creating great content and it's part of my routine. The second I see there's going to be a national team announcement, I already start watching my feeds. He's on, I, I listen to your podcast. I know you also put it on YouTube. I'm, I'm more an audio guy. Um, but one of my things is, okay, there's a, there's a national team announcement out. What's Danny got to say about it? We're previewing a game. What's Danny got to say about it? Something bad happened in the game. Oh boy. What's Danny got to say about it? And like you say, when the criticism needs to happen, the criticism is going to happen. Let's actually now get into the game. We've done our love fest. That's awesome. You and I will probably do a five hour show here if, if, if we can go on like this, right? Brass tax, Portugal in the World Cup. A weird World Cup, let's be honest. We've already seen Danny wakes up the morning and record this um, Argentina losing. So the first big shock out the way. It's going to be a strange World Cup because there is no team that's kind of the finished or finishing article. Everybody's either at the end of a cycle or at the start of a new one, except, dare I say, and putting things ahead, getting too far ahead of ourselves, Portugal and probably Brazil are in the best place of where there's enough guys who've been there and enough guys too young to make a mistake. But I do this all the time, right? I go, oh, the logical side, we're not going to win it. Once you start seeing the players arriving, you know, the other day, Danny, I looked to see how much it would cost me to get to Qatar for the World Cup final, just in case, just in you, case. You and me both, sir. <laughs> What's wrong with us? <laughs> Yeah, I I was doing I was doing that, uh, you know, because I you know before the World Cup, no disrespect to the to the to Qatar, uh, I never fancied myself being a a traveler there. But mm. you put an international tournament there of the uh, of the magnitude of the World Cup, and it's like, hmm, if Portugal was to somehow <laughs> play a match on December the eighteenth. What would it cost me to get there? And I quickly said, you know what? I have a mortgage to pay and children to save money for uh, for their college yeah. degrees. And uh, we'll we'll watch that one in the in the old uh, U.S. of A. in in, in my house in California and, and and call it call it square there. But uh, yeah, you and I are in the same boat. We, we I think uh, we were silly to think that we'd get there, but obviously not silly enough to at least peruse the. Uh, the uh, the internet to see like what kind of a that's deal it. could I get on a flight to Qatar? <laughs> that's it. Hey, listen, at least you get your chance in four years' time. Hopefully, we had ours. So we had our World Cup in 2010. I want to tell a story quickly, Danny, and I think a lot of people listening, you know, I, I, I got mostly Portuguese fans going to be listening to this, right? So 2010 World Cup, Portugal arrived on the Sunday. Okay, so I had tickets to group games, I had tickets to knockout games, all that. But word starts going around, and this is kind of like the early days of Twitter. The only sort of messaging platform we had was BBM, was BlackBerry. There wasn't much iMessage and no WhatsApp. So word starts going around that not only can you go, Portuguese were lining the streets from the airport. It's about an hour and a half drive to where they were staying. Um, they stayed on the outskirts. People were lining up from the morning before to get their place to see the bus go past, right? And oh, long, long people, I mean, RTP was flying helicopters, it was a big thing. But then word gets around that there are tickets available to go watch an open training session, right? First come, first serve. But like, what a weird catch me if you can. Had to go to the town hall, find a guy called Robert who's going to send you downstairs. You have to answer a troll, a, a riddle from a troll. He's going to give it. To, and anyway, it's just a whole big complicated thing to get there. 
me and my friends and family decide, listen, it's every man for himself. It's one ticket per person. It's not like I could go and get 20 tickets. Only one person gets a ticket per hand and then we're going to go off. So lots of us try it. It's like an amazing race. You're running out. People are running in. It was quite crazy. Then now we're all driving out to the school where they were training. And those of us lucky, you could only kind of enter the perimeter, which is probably about two kilometers. Um, I don't know what that is in miles, but two kilometers outside. And then you had to leave your car and walk and you couldn't get there without a ticket. But people were finding ways to get into the school around it, sitting on rugby posts, climbing up to the grandstand. There were probably already about a thousand and a half people inside to watch this closed training session where the guys just walked out kicked a few balls around. The only player who came out to actually take photos and sign was Eduardo, remember the goalkeeper then? He was the only one who came to the players or to the fans, but they kind of stood there, kept their distance, did the wave. But from then on, every Portugal game was life-changing experience. I went to a couple, other people went, followed the whole way till Spain knocked us out. Um, but when you watch this and thinking about what you got coming up, I'm like, man, I am so jealous to just experience something like that again. So you've got a hell of a lot to look forward to. Yeah, I've, uh, it's, 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 you know, you, everyone talks about their bucket list and <laughs> the bucket list is to, to watch Portugal, um, an international match, uh, before I, uh, before I, I make it, uh, hopefully upstairs, if, if you uh, if you catch my meeting. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, I've I've uh, I've been lucky enough to watch Ronaldo play uh, when he was with Real Madrid. They came, uh, the club came to San Francisco and played uh, Club America from uh, the Mexican league. And uh, I mean, uh, Paul, it's it's it was as if it was written in the stars. It's his first se- uh, season uh, with Real Madrid. The match is tied three three. It's uh, it's about the 87th, 88th minute. He has about a free kick from about 22, 23 yards. And Ronaldo, of course, hits it perfectly, wins the game for Real Madrid. It, it, it was it was amazing. Going to do it. Um, but absolutely, I mean, it's, you know, the World Cup being in the States and in Canada and in Mexico in 2026, um, it's uh, it's it's on my uh, it's on my to do list. We'll just say that <laughs> um, to to make sure that uh, we can get uh, we can get to the World Cup and and uh, and, and watch uh, Portugal hopefully hopefully qualify. Obviously, because you know uh, the one thing that Portuguese people don't usually do is count their chickens before mm-hmm. uh, before they hatch. And uh, given the uh, the scenario that this this national team loves to put us through. Um, it's never easy, so I don't expect it to be an easy uh, way to get to the World Cup. But uh, hopefully, we'll see the national team um, you know, on my on my home soil here uh, in uh, in four years' time. Yeah, yeah. Maybe it's cheaper to get there, so maybe I'll save up for that one. I think that that might be easier and cheaper. Um, Follow lodging is free. Just come to California, pal. We'll take care of you. Nice, nice. <laughs> so <laughs> this uh, the World Cup group we find ourselves in. I don't know how much we talk about what Ronaldo's done. It's another weird thing that do you find yourself going, what he's doing for the club really shouldn't affect the national team to the point that these players are so enamored by him as teammates that it will bother them. What's your kind of take on that? Because you get media who wants to go, oh, it's going to rip Portugal apart. But I really don't see that at all. Uh, I think it's... I think there's still 
a lot to be seen on how it's going to affect the national team. So here's here's the quick and dirty uh, uh, scenario. If Portugal struggles, it's Ronaldo's fault because of the comments. Uh, if Portugal goes goes uh, goes far, uh, they've overcome uh, the shadow that is Cristiano Ronaldo. Right. Um, me personally, I thought the interview uh, that he gave with Piers Morgan um, didn't didn't uh, shine a very positive light on Ronaldo. To mm. be honest, um, you know, there, you know, I, I I've said this on my podcast. Uh, the one thing that I, I think uh, Fernando Santos has lacked in terms of the last couple of years is just a, a a sense of accountability for for not getting the most out of this national team. Um, and what I sensed in the interview uh, with Cristiano Ronaldo is a lack of a uh, of a sense of accountability on what has been just a just a bad move to mm. to Manchester United. I mean last year he was he was he still scored 18 goals in the league was a for, you know made the uh the 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 team of the uh, of the year uh for the league but it just wasn't you know it wasn't the same Ronaldo. Now given last year he was 36 this year he's 37 there's a new manager there's a lot going on with the club in terms of how the club's been managed uh, and rightfully identified by Ronaldo since, uh, since Sir Alex, Sir Alex Ferguson has, uh, has left. Um, but what I want to see from my star player is, yeah, things may not be going your way, um, but just kind of say, you know what? It hasn't gone, it hasn't gone uh, my, my way, you know, this year so far. Um, you know, I'll keep working. I just, I guess what I'm, I guess what I'm trying to, to, to have Ronaldo show is something that he hasn't shown much, which is uh, humility. That isn't always a bad thing, given you know yeah. his superstar status. It's when you when you are on top as as long as he has been, um, and not just like you know top five, top ten, like top one or two. There mm. there is a drive there and a motor that is unmatched by I would say. 99.9% of this uh, uh, of athletes in whatever sport, whether it be uh, soccer, football, or basketball, or whatever it is. But I don't know. It just it just didn't it didn't strike the right tone. I don't think for for me personally as a, as a fan of of him and but you know he's got two teammates from Manchester United. On the uh, on the national team in Diogo Law and and Bruno Fernandes, uh, people are making I think way too much out of a handshake in the locker room mm. that the national team actually put out. So why would the national team put something out that was um, a quote unquote negative? Yep. I think it's I think he's easy to be. I think he's, I think Ronaldo is easy to pick on. Uh, I think he is easy to be a target, um, but. To answer your original question, how how it's going to impact the national team, I still think it just remains to be seen. And I think whatever happens, uh, the media will drive the narrative no matter what it is. And uh, I, I think the most important thing for him is just to focus on national team soccer, which is what he's going to do. Yep. And we'll, I think we'll get a good idea of, of the impact that he 
may still have on this national team with the first match against Ghana because right now all the eyes of the world is on him or are on him, I should say, given that interview. But can they, you know, is it going to be the thing that lights his fire for one last time in, in a big competition? Maybe. We could hope. But I think the reliance of Ronaldo is something that has drastically changed over the last few years. And uh, what I'd love to see is, you know, Ronaldo being the best Ronaldo that he can be while also getting the best out of the other, you know, 10 players on the field to give this national team its best chance at winning a, uh, a World Cup. Yeah, and I think there's, there's a really simplistic logic that um, kind of came out of the Nigeria game of going, oh, well, Manchester United are better without Ronaldo. Ronaldo's not playing against Nigeria. Look how good Portugal are, and look what happens when all these youngsters are let off the leash, which Fernando Santos is never going to do no matter who's there. Um, but it's also simplistic because I've seen Ronaldo play a much more um, – a, a very different role than he does plays at times for Portugal. If I think of the Spain games in, in the Nations League, it, he played a different role. And I think it's very simplistic to say it. But I want to talk about Fernando Santos. You, I think like everybody, great fans, what he did for Portuguese soccer, for all the near misses, he gave us a trophy. But there is a sense that maybe it's gone, by now we're two, tuna, two tournaments too far, right? Yeah, I, I, I think that um, following the, the European Championship exit last summer, uh, that should have been the end. Uh, I really think that he should have been fired uh, following the, uh, the loss to Serbia in mm. World Cup qualifying at home. Uh, you know, I mentioned this to Tom Kundert from Portugal.net on my, uh, on my podcast and you know, Paulo, that that match was the first match um, post COVID, where it was a full house mm, mm. at the Stadio de Luz. It was the first national team match that you know they had. You know they they have had matches before, but you know, uh, as we like to say in Portuguese, "Cacaza cheia," mm. you put a, you put an egg. You, you threw up an egg, <laughs> and you you sat on a one goal lead for 85 minutes mm. or you tried to sit on a one goal lead and yeah, it's, yeah, I, you know, for me, it, it's, it's been too, it's, he's just out, outstayed his welcome. Um, you know, it's again, uh, thank him for, for 2016. Uh, thank him for 2019 uh, in being the inaugural nations league champs, whatever that means to, to other folks. I, you know, it's an international trophy and we didn't have one before for none and now we have two but with that said you also have to recognize when the time is right to make a change and to me with the quality of player that is now um at the disposal of this national team you know it's it's not 2016 anymore where it was a very pragmatic mm. very um you know just defend and counter um uh, way of playing football. This team has way too many offensive weapons and stars that a, a change of tactic, a change of approach, a change of philosophy uh, was needed. So for me, a change should have been made, um, you know, one or two cycles ago. With that said, um, he 
he's the manager. There's nothing we can do about it. So, you know, much like the team, we support the manager until he's not the manager anymore. That's that's my philosophy. It's like I'm not going to root against Fernand Sunch because if you root against Fernand Sunch, you're rooting against uh, the success of the national team. And that just doesn't uh, – that, uh, that doesn't fly with me. Uh, and, you know, just to go back on something you were saying about Ronaldo, you know, this Portuguese team does play better without him now. You know why? Because we have better players. Mm, mm. Manchester United is playing – better now without Ronaldo. Why? Because this year they have better players than they had last year. So there is something to be said about, you know, the ball moving a little bit more. I, I noticed yep. it, but are we a better team? There's not enough of a sample size, in my opinion, to, to, to clearly say, yes, we are. Yes, we are. Or no, we aren't, I should say. Yeah. And, and to kind of wrap up the thought of um, kind of players and, and, and personalities within the national team, um, you know that if he can walk, Pep is playing. What do you think about that? That For me, of everybody, I kind of seen Pep playing for Porto. I'm going, oh, it looks like he's finished. And I've written Pep off before, but I've also got, to, oh, this feels like this might be really a bridge too far. The other two, Ronaldo and Fernand Sanch, Okay, fine. They'll probably got a little bit more. I don't know. Pep just to me doesn't seem like uh, he's going to be in there, but it seems like it's really a bridge too far now. I uh, I was of the opinion that you still bring uh, Pep to the World Cup, but you bring him in uh, on more of a to like a lack of a better term uh, a cheerleader kind of role. Yeah. Um, I, I, his passion for this national team is, is unreal. Mm. And for someone who was not born in Portugal, that didn't grow up in Portugal, um, for him to be as passionate as he is about the national team, when he puts on that, that Jersey is, uh, is, is definitely to be commended. And that's, Uh, that's what gives me, and sorry, that's what gives me a weird affinity to him because it goes, Oh, like you can see that, in you know he's got even less of a connection but i think that's why i've got an affinity because i go oh wow he loves this country as much as anybody and he's really got no link i think his wife's portuguese um but yeah i mean it's it's that that's so like great servant phenomenal yeah and i mean he's in a he's in a similar spot to us in mm. a way because we have the connection to you know the the culture mm. from our parents he has the connection uh you know, being from Brazil, he speaks the language already, but it's different. Um, but then he lives in, he, you know, he lives in Portugal, works in Portugal, and, you know, he gets called up. I mean, it's, it's you know, not that Brazil has ever made any, you know, many blunders in terms of <laughs> national teams. But, I mean, I mean, they would have, in retrospect, would have loved to have Pep in the middle of their defense for the, for the last uh, decade or so. But, um, you know, with me, it's, I, I, I'm just wary of, him being fit enough for a tournament like this when I'm not even talking about his age, even though his age does play a factor, he's 39, but I've always been of the, of the opinion, I don't care how old you are. If you can do the job, you should be on the team. And my, my worry with him is not so much about him doing the job. It's just, you know, can he last an entire tournament and him being, uh, you know, he's, he's got all these, they're not even huge injuries, Paul. They're, yeah. they're, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a slight, you know, knee strain here or a, or a hamstring here, but 
they somehow last a little longer when you're 39 years old and they appear a little bit more often when you're 39 years old. So in terms of quality of player, there's no question that he should be on the team. I just have, I just, I am just very wary of him being thrust into the starting lineup when he hasn't been playing well or not even playing well, but been playing at all. Um, he does have a connection with Huben Diaz. They have played mm. together, but um, you know, you have, you have the Nilu, you have uh, Antonio Silva as, uh, as other options in case he can't go, but your those two options are a, natural defensive midfielder and a kid at uh, 19 years old who just played his first international game for the for the uh for Portugal. So the options are not great in terms of no nah, I wouldn't even say quality just to, just based off experience, but uh but these are these are the selections that uh that Fernando Sanchez made. Yeah. Yeah. And and um so a lot of the Portugal squad in a way, I mean we've spoken, we've seen the faces. There's not Many, you know, football fans will watch a Portugal team go, okay, I know a lot of the players. I want to talk about some of the guys who could probably have a breakthrough World Cup. So, obviously, the first one coming in, uh, replacing, I think he's going to replace Diego Costa uh, in goals, replacing uh, Hoy Patricio, who has been a, a stalwart. I expected more from, from Patricio, but he has a goalkeeper who has been doing great things at Porto, linked with a massive move, and now probably going to be number one for the national team. Um, a lot of pressure. What do you think? Oh, there's, there's definite pressure. Um, you know, he, he, he doesn't have a lot of caps for the national team yet. Uh, but he is, you know, if you're looking for a textbook world-class, uh, goalkeeper, potentially, Dio Costa checks all the boxes. He's, he's six, four. Um, he's just, he's huge in the box. Um, he, he covers a lot of the goal, um, very easily his distribution. Once he has the ball in his hands or at his feet is phenomenal. Uh, that was one of the things that surprised me most Yeah, when, uh, when he was called is, you know, I, I don't watch as much sports, uh, sports, uh, games and matches as perhaps I should, but, um, but just his distribution, uh, out of the, uh, out of the back is, is tremendous. And, you know, I was, I was uh, a little taken aback when he first got the uh, the start during the uh, the playoffs, mm. um, but I think he's very much uh, deserved uh, the uh, the number one shirt going forward. And you know, I was I was surprised it wasn't going to be Hui Patricio back then. Jose uh, Sa at uh, at Wolverhampton in the EPL, uh, I thought might have had an opportunity uh, to to finally get his shot. But I mean, Dio Costa has has done a phenomenal job for Port and has been asked to do a lot yet uh, for the national team, but uh, based on club form alone, um, he might be, uh, you know, that next, uh, that next Portuguese star who, who cashes in uh, maybe as soon as, uh, as next summer to a, a big club. And um, you know, it, it could, and it could begin uh, right here at the world cup. Yeah, I think so. I think that's he, he's got all the potential to be a breakout star. It's going to be weird not seeing Patricio. Uh, he's been Mr. Reliable, but maybe not Mr. Spectacular. Kind of, You don't want your goalkeeper to be noticeable, but I think a modern goalkeeper does different stuff. Um, and then two more youngsters I kind of want to touch on just before we start wrapping up. Um, Rafa Liao and Joao Felix. Listen, Fernando Sanchez is not playing both of them. He's going to make a selection. They kind of sit in the same area of the field. Um, Rafa Liao had a phenomenal 
season and a half at AC Milan. And then we've got our poor child in his gilded cage, Joao Felix. Um, part of me thinks a lot of his problems <laughs> are of his own making. But let's talk about Rafael. Let's let's talk about the two. If you have to go, I got these two. Could be generational talent. Joao Felix is kind of getting to that age where he needs to start proving um, what people think of him. But if you've got those two, and assuming Fernando Santos gets brave, who do you go for? I would go Rafael Leal. Uh, based on based on form, mm. but um, I will say, and again, very small sample size. Uh, I thought Jean Felix was uh, very very good uh, in the Nigeria match, the mm. friendly um, last Thursday. So if if we get that Jean Felix, um, Sun's choice or decision becomes that much that much tougher. Uh, again, it's one of the things like, you know, Ronaldo wasn't on the field, so you're yeah. allowed, to, these guys are allowed uh, to do a little bit more, maybe play a little bit more free because, you know, the the attention uh, that Ronaldo brings is not on the field. And, you know, you get to, you get to maybe, maybe play the, a style that you're more uh, naturally um, comfortable with. But if, if they're both in terms of top of their quality, um, I, it's 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 a hard decision. I guess I'm just going to sit on the fence on this one, uh, follow it, and just if it's if they're on the if they're if they're at the top of their game, I think it's a tough decision. But solely based on form right now, I I think I would uh, I would go with uh, I would go with Rafael Leal. Yeah, I think he kind of gives you. There's a sense that you know what he's going to do. Joao Felix can go from being the most phenomenal player to absolutely stinking. And you know what? He's shown so far that he. He's good coming off the bench. I think it's uh, the position he's caught at 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 Atletico. Sure, you want to start, but when you come off the bench, whether it's because you read a game or whether you just want to prove me wrong, you're doing well off the bench. So you know what am I? <laughs> what am I supposed to do? You know, but the, the funny, but the funny thing is, is that I think uh, for this national team, I think he's best served starting instead of coming off the bench. If I had to, if I had to start one, I would start Huff, or I would start João Felix. Um, if I had to guess who would be best off the bench, I think it would be Rafael Leão, because I just okay. think that his his main trait is speed. Yeah, and you know if you have someone come on like him in the 65th or 70th minute, um, that's going to that's going to possibly uh, wreak havoc on a defense. Now, you know in terms of meriting a start again, if based solely on form, it should be Rafael Leão. But in terms of how you want to um, how you want to, you know, provide attack? How you want to, you know, go at uh, a certain a certain opposition? Um, you could have Rafael Leon, uh in your back pocket, um, and like I said, bring him on maybe for a guy like João Felix, or heaven forbid, Paulo, maybe bring Cristiano Ronaldo off in the seventieth yep. minute. I mean, I know I'm talking sacrilege here, but <laughs> I mean these are. These are the times we are in, so we have to make the best decision for the uh, for the national team. But uh, yeah, it's they're they're two they're two great quality players, and uh, and again, it's it's one of the it, it's the difference between 2016 and, and now, where 
offensively, yep. there are just so many more options for this national team than there than there was six years ago. Yeah, and you said such such an interesting thing about the the pace and the speed because we kind of lack that out and out pace without Rafa to bring off the bench, you know, anymore. And uh, you know, Rafa Liao gives you that option. Um, it, it it is a little bit of a worry that like you, you just need someone to do that because you saw Rafa come so many times off the bench and just completely disrupts people with how quick and direct he is. Of the, um, oh, we got a lot of talent. Listen, we haven't even touched on Bruno Fernandes, Bernard Silva, et cetera, et cetera. If you had a look through the rest of the squad of the players we've not spoken about, who is somebody to kind of go, let's look out for him in your mind that's going to go either really affirm what we think of him or completely change that, wow, I didn't realize he had that in the locker? Uh, in terms of. Um we knew what we had in him. I'm gonna, I'm gonna go with uh, João Conselo. Mm. Uh, he unfortunately uh, picked up COVID. Yeah. During uh, right before right before the the start of the Euros last year, and Fernando Sanchez made the uh, what I characterize as the unwise decision of just dropping him totally, and uh, and not giving him a chance to go through the protocols and and rejoin the team um, in the, in the knockout stage and. Uh, I thought that his presence uh, or, or his lack of presence in the, in the squad was never more felt than the loss against uh, against Belgium in the round of 16. So uh, the one that will confirm how good he is, I think, is João Cosello. Ah, the one that could, the one that can, you know, you know, it could be the two that we just talked about, uh, Paulo. I think yeah. it could be Rafael Leon or, uh, or, or João Felix. If, you know, you know, Hoffa's not there. Diogo Jota's not there. Pedro Neto is not there. Um, you know, in terms of attack, you have Ronaldo. You have um, you have uh, João Felix. You have Rafael Leão. You have Ricardo Horta, uh, Gonçalo Ramos, and uh, yeah. I'm missing one. Uh, I don't have the roster in front of me, but you know, those guys, uh, Leão and, and João Felix. They they could be the the two breakout stars uh, on the offensive side of things for uh, for Portugal if given the opportunity. So, um, yeah, those would those would be my my two uh, my two uh, players to 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 look for in terms of breaking out. I mean, the the talent's all there. Yeah. Everyone around the world knows it, but uh, they, it hasn't been done yet in the Portuguese shirt. So, uh, you know, we could see that this summer. Or this winter, gosh, yes, where it's not a. In, in, here, it's in, in the states. It's the winter, so it's summer. My Listen, apologies for that. No, I'm. So every winter we watch and we have to kind of like watch indoors, and so it's summer it's going to be outside. We have, call them brides, barbecues, but it's going to be a summer World Cup for us. So, so it is our. <laughs> so we can enjoy that. Um, realistically, how far do we get? Uh, I'm of the opinion that if Portugal wins the group. And if everything goes the way it's supposed to go, which as of this morning uh, <laughs> yeah. or this afternoon, however, whenever you watch the, the Argentina game, uh, if, if it goes chalk, as, as we say here in the States, if it goes the way it's supposed to go, I think that Portugal will have every opportunity to make it to the, uh, the semifinals. Yep, I'm with you. Um, I think uh, if, if, they were to, if they were to get through the round of 16 and find themselves against a team like Belgium, um, I, I, as you know, we lost to them last, uh, last summer, but I don't think it was by any stretch of the imagination, a dominating performance by the Belgian side. 
I don't rate the Belgian side actually very much. No, me neither. Uh, being ranked as high as they have been uh, for as long as they have been, um, I just don't think that they've they've done enough to merit you know being ranked number one and and in the top three or whatever it is that they have been for the last four or five years. So um, <clears throat> now it's set up you know a potentially a a a matchup with France or with England uh, in the semis, and you know we saw what England did uh, against. Uh, so yeah. Who was it, Paul? Whatever. Iran, it, Iran. Sorry, it was, was it, Iran, Iran. Iran. Uh, yes, Ka- it was Iran. Yeah. So Carlos Queiroz so, uh, on the side, looking very angry with everyone. Iran. Nah, well, you know, hey, you know, <laughs> Carlos Queiroz. Uh, well, that's another show for another time, I think. But <laughs> yeah. um, you know, you know, you could see you could see England in the semis. You could see the defending champions in in France. Um, again, on paper, this this national team has should have a good shot against anybody around the world. It's just about playing in a cohesive, uh, believing way that, um, you know, has, I think, lacked a little bit in the last year and a half, two years. But, you know, we'll see if somehow the magic of uh, what is likely Ronaldo and Pep's last World Cup, maybe that, uh, you know, is a galvanizing, uh, a galvanizing uh, piece of, uh, of, this, uh, of this national team, not solely just for them, but obviously for all 26 involved in the staff, but... Uh, you just got to find something to believe in and something to to drive you, and hopefully they find that uh, in this World Cup. Once again, we go in full of belief, Danny. It has been phenomenal talking. Like I say, fanboy moments. It's been so cool talking to you. I reckon we could talk for hours. Um, if you want to hear more of Danny, it is Silasau Pod everywhere, right? We'll drop all the links um, in the show notes, but it's Silasau Pod pretty much wherever you want to look, right? Yeah, Silasaupod.com, uh, at Silasaupod on Twitter and on uh, Instagram. Uh, we have a Facebook page. Uh, just search the Celeste podcast there. Just facebook.com slash Celeste Um Yeah, we're, uh, we're uh, everywhere, uh, available everywhere on, uh, on all podcasting platforms. And uh, we, uh, we also have a YouTube channel as well where I uh, conduct uh, a lot of my interviews uh, as well. So uh, we're, we're everywhere. And, uh, and yeah, Paul, it's, it's been a, an absolute pleasure to, to talk to you. And uh, we, we need to get you on the, uh, the Sell It Song podcast too, my friend. Looking forward to it, man. Anytime, Danny. I, I, I look forward. It's going to be a crazy World Cup. And I look forward to more chats. And thank you so much for helping me launch this inaugural uh, spinoff of the Working Title FC podcast. I really do appreciate it. your time, mate.